This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, open our ears and our minds and our hearts to the word you have for each and every one of us this day. And as I, your servant, stand before you, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Biblical scholar Ronald Hendel has this interesting opening to one of these articles that he wrote about this very passage. And he says, if someone were to ask you to name the origin of a story where giants are born because divine creatures come from the heavens and marry human women and they have these giant children, what, what society do you think that would be describing? What sorts of myths or stories do you think these would be? Maybe it sounds like Greek mythology or Roman mythology. Maybe it sounds like something you've heard you would expect in Norse or even African traditions. But no, it's this little passage right here in the book of Genesis of all books. This central scripture to the Torah, this beginning of not only the Hebrew Bible, but that lineage that we build our Christian tradition upon. And it's talking about divine creatures coming down from the heavens and, and bearing children with human women. Yikes, right? That sounds really bizarre. And it's one of these passages that has actually been argued about for hundreds and hundreds of years because the very early church mothers and fathers weren't quite sure what it meant. They thought, well, it could be that they're talking about the, um, the sons of um, the, the people of Seth and the people of Cain. And maybe these two different tribes were who they were describing. But other church fathers said, no, it is what it is. This is truly a story about angels who have come to the earth and then married human women. And you wonder, well, why is that here? Why is that in the Bible? Because and then, then you say, well, that just sounds depraved, right? That sounds like all of God's creation being torn apart and shattered in so many different ways. And if you think about it, throughout Scripture, we actually have other passages that talk about fallen angels. You'll find descriptions like that in the book of Isaiah and in the Psalms, talking about the characters within the heavenly court, who for whatever reason turned away from God, turned away from their creator, and fell from their, their being God's people, God's chosen beings. Who's one that we think of? Who comes to mind when we talk about the fallen one? Lucifer, that's right. The leader of God's heavenly choir. 
who began to think that he was the one who should have been worshipped, but he was fallen. So we have different descriptions about that as we hear, as we look at the scriptures. And someone else looks, um, sometimes we also look at these passages and we say, well, what does that say about angels then? Why would they turn away from God? And, and why would they see, even if it was the most beautiful woman on earth, why would an angel leave their flight in heaven and decide to do all the things that they wanted to do on earth with these women? And if you think about it, a few weeks ago we were talking about free will and how God didn't create us to just be God's puppets. And if you think about it, even for God's chosen messengers, the one that God wanted to use throughout heaven and earth to share God's message, they still had the opportunity to choose whether or not they were going to serve God. Nobody, even, not, even the angels, aren't there because they don't have a choice to serve the one who has created us all. So it can say a little bit more about how maybe even angels have free will in some sense, even though they're God's servants and they're lower creatures than even humans, that they still have the opportunity to choose what it is they're going to serve. So it's not unusual. The ancient fathers and mothers, they all argued about what these passages meant, what it meant for these sons and daughters of Seth um, to marry these women. And I want you to think about what is said in this passage. Because we would say this seems like a very sinful moment in time. And it's going to be a time when everything that God has created is being torn apart in a lot of ways. And, but Here's what I want you to notice about the passage in verse 4. It says, In those days giants lived on the earth, and also afterward, when divine beings and human daughters had sexual relations and gave birth to children. Those were the ancient heroes, famous men. But then the very next verse, that we don't even read, but the fifth Verse of chapter 6 begins an entirely different story. It's one of the most famous stories of the Bible. For the Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth and that every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil and the Lord regretted making human beings on the earth. And he was heartbroken. So what's God going to do at this point? Wipe it all out with the flood. So these giants, some people argue, the early church fathers argued, these giants were people who were wiped out with the flood. They aren't around anymore. But then there are other passages in the scripture later that talk about other people who were seen like giants, such as, guess what? Goliath. Goliath is one of these people who could also have been considered, Goliath of Gath, could have been considered 
like one of these Nephilim, one of the descendants of these giants who lived on earth. And if we look at this, it's one of these passages that could sound so fantastic, so bizarre, that it could really crumble a faith that is too literal. It could make you say, how could that be? I don't see any giants around, even though I could argue there are some pretty gigantic people nowadays, amen? Like, I remember being a little girl going to Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Niagara Falls, and outside that, they had the, the statue of the guy who held the record for being the tallest man in the world. It was something like eight feet tall, and you'd go up and you'd say, whoa. Even my father, who was 6'4", looked like a dwarf next to this man. It was He was so gigantic, and you could see the size of his feet, and you could see the, how huge his hands were because he had had an illness where he continued to grow. He just never stopped growing until his bodily organs just couldn't keep up with the size of man that he was. So we say, well, maybe, maybe they weren't wiped out in the flood. There are still giants around us. And surely if you've been to a sporting event, you've seen some of these professional athletes, NBA players, and, and um, some of our football players who just keep getting larger and larger, and you say, these, these are giants among us. So what does that have to do with our faith? It says in the scripture that these, these giants, they were men of renown, they were the heroes of that day. Well, that's the part that the early writers tended to focus on most about this passage of Scripture and what it meant for how we live as faithful people. They didn't get too caught up in the ins and outs of, well, wait a minute, you mean to say angels married women? They didn't worry so much about that. They worried about what it meant for how they were going to live as disciples. Because if it was the giants that were men of renown, if that's who the people of society were starting to look up to, these people who were born of some kind of perversion of what God had wanted, it was a, a trigger for the people to recognize that the Lord never intended for these physical pursuits alone to be all that people based their lives on. And they would look at these giants, they would say, oh, you've got so much strength, you've got so much power and so much might, but you don't have a lot going on with your head or your soul. They recognized that there were limitations, that these humans weren't su superhuman after all. And we find that that's why it's coupled here with this passage about how God was only going to give breath and life to human beings for a short amount of time. They were only going to live, how long? 120 years. And if we look at, at all of the records and who has lived longest in the world, nobody really goes beyond 120. People try to with things like macrobiotic diets where you only eat a few hundred calories a day. It's like, well, if you're going to just eat little bits of of, of food like that, why would you want to live to be 120 or 130? You know, have some cake. It would be more enjoyable a life. Um, but the point is they, they recognize that, that there are limitations to who we are as human beings. And here's the beautiful thing, too, about that 120 years. Doesn't that just show us 
about God's grace and mercy, because God is giving that long a lifespan for people to decide to serve him. Even these fallen people, even here in the passage of scripture where God is about to just start over with a lot of them, he's giving them a long enough lifespan to have opportunity to return to God, to recognize that it's the Lord God alone who is the creator of all, the Lord God alone who is the one who gives us the spirit of life and is the one who makes all that we do worth living. Basil the Great once said this, he said of those men of renown, of those, those strong giants, he said they had strength of arms, swiftness of foot, comeliness of body, and the spoils of sickness and the plunders of time, but it awakens their pride. Such was the arrogance of the giants according to their strength. Such was their God-defying pride, just like we saw in Goliath. But even those who tried to defy God, God was given the opportunity to be his people, to return to the Lord, to give that chance again and again. It didn't take very long in these passages of scripture. Again, we're only in the sixth chapter of the very first book of the Bible. It didn't take long at all for people to be turning so far away from God. But we see here, even this early, that we serve a God who is continually trying to renew us, to reclaim us, to bring us back to him, and help us to see his presence in the midst of everything. And so, a lesson here for us with these giants, and with this life that may only be 120 years if we're blessed, but probably less than that. But the lesson is the breath we have should be used to praise our maker, to give thanks to the God who calls us to serve him first and foremost. To say, you may have physical strength and prowess now, but you have to know that it's God and God alone who gives you any power that you have to overcome. And in the end, we're going to later see it's always the power of God, just like David used later with Goliath, that slays the giants. Even though these were men of renown, men of praise, someone who is faithful and serves the Lord and puts the will of our God before anything else is able to topple even that power. And we give thanks to this God who we serve this God who gives us strength for every day, and the one who we praise with every breath we have, no matter the span of our years. Amen. Now we're going to prepare...